0: So, how many of you guys have done some hiking? Wow, you know, we've gone down in our activity level each progressive service. Saturday night, I think everybody was hiking. Last service, there was quite a few, and there's a lot of couch potatoes in here. (laughs) Well, if you have done much hiking around here, in the hills and the mountains around here, then you probably encountered something that's called a false summit. And and some of you know what that is, but for those couch potatoes who are in here, let me just take a couple minutes, and I want to explain not just what a, a false summit is, but kind of how it works, because it has an impact on us. kind of starts like this. So you meet with your friends at the trailhead, and, and you're excited, because that day you're going to hit the trail, you're going to conquer the mountain, you're going to see some beautiful scenery, get a workout, and, and you're usually pretty optimistic at this point, because you haven't even put your backpack on yet, but, but you eventually get loaded up, and, and you head on up the trail, and some of the trails around here start out flat, but pretty soon you're going up, and, and when you're going uphill, and you've got weight on your back, it's a workout, I mean, your legs are starting to feel it, but that's what you're there for. So you just start putting one foot in front of the other and you just keep climbing. You, you climb higher and you're getting to see some of that scenery and you go higher. You know what? My hiking experience, it seems like what invariably happens was about the time that you feel like, wow, we have really been climbing. We've been doing great. Then it, then it actually does get steep. And, and, and then it's like, oh my gosh. I thought we already were going uphill, and now we've got to go up this. And so you just start, and now your quads are burning, and they might be shaking. And now you're starting to sweat, and you're you're actually beginning to feel like you're not sure if you're going to make it, because it's really hard. But if you look way ahead, you see the top, and you think, okay, there's the finish line. I can push that far. I can get it. But here's where the false summit comes. When you get to the top, it's not the top. It's not the top. There's just, there's just more hills ahead. And, and at this point, it's discouraging. But what can you do? So you just kind of, oh, you, you, you're miles in. All you can do is keep going. But you thought you had conquered you know, you thought you'd reach the summit, and, and then you realize there's just another mountain to climb. And, and way in the distance, you think, well, maybe that's the summit. But what if it's not? I mean, what if you push all the way there, and you get to the top, and, and, and it's just another false summit? It can really beat you down. And when you encounter a few false summits in a row it can actually just kind of suck the hope out of you. And false summits aren't just a a hiking thing, are they? I would bet that that all of us have encountered some struggles with false summits in life. I bet bet every one of us here have had, had difficulties where we've We've struggled and we thought we'd gained some victory. We thought we'd gotten to the top and, and we just discover that no, we really haven't, that there's still just another mountain to climb. And some battles in life can seem like they're never ending, like they just go on and, and on. Have you got anything like that? And some of those battles... They come at us from the outside. Things, you know, like, like finances and, and family and difficult circumstances that we struggle with. And then there are struggles on the inside. The, the battles that you and I fight in our heart. Discouragement and, and struggles with wrong attitudes and insecurities and worries and, and, and fears that we have. And some of those things we seem to struggle with just again and and again and again. And I know there's times when we feel kind of like, whew, I kind of got over the hump on this one. I feel like I got some breathing room and then there's just another mountain. And sometimes that's what life can feel like, like just this series of one false summit after another. We're in this this sermon series called Independent. In fact, this is our fourth week in. We're doing a study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church that was in the city of Corinth. And, And independence, the word independent is actually something we celebrate in our culture, isn't it? I mean, independence is seen as a a positive thing. An independent person standing on their own two feet. But actually, from a spiritual perspective, independence is not a positive. In God's economy, independence is not the goal. Because in God's economy, it's actually the opposite. Dependence is the goal. Dependence on him is the goal in God's economy. Now, this Corinthian church struggled with a host of problems. There were spiritual disasters around every corner in this church. And as you and I walk through this letter together, we're going to see that the source of all of these problems that they had was a persistent attitude of independence. Kind of a, we've got this. We know what we're doing. We can handle this on our own. Now, Paul writes lots of letters to churches. And most of those letters, if you look at them, they start out with several several chapters of encouraging teaching about Jesus and all that he's done for us and And all that he is doing for us. And then if there's problems in that church that need to be addressed. Paul eventually gets to that. But man, not in this letter. He attacks problems from the very beginning. No sooner are the formal greetings written down. Than Paul goes after the first problem. Which is the problem of divisions in the church. We heard Pastor Jim talk about that last week. And then after he tackles division. He moves on through a host of other issues. Just attacking problem after problem after problem. And we're going to actually see Paul get pretty frustrated at the Corinthian believers. Exasperated at, at all these struggles that they were having. But we need to remember as we read this that, that Paul didn't write this letter just to rip these people. I mean, he was what he called their spiritual father. He had helped lead these people to a relationship with Jesus. And so he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church to help them correct the mistakes of independence that they were making. Paul wanted to help them get back on course, back towards dependence on the Father. And you and I probably know that an independent attitude in our spiritual life can cause a lot of problems. But even though we know that, we still struggle with independence anyway, don't we? We all do. And our hope in this series is that you and I would learn from the mistakes that the Corinthians made. That we together would see the errors of independence that they made. And instead of leaning on our own strength, we would lean into dependence on God. Now, today's passage is is found in chapter 2. It's the first five verses of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look at it together. But I want to give these verses some context. And so I want to start at the end of chapter 1 and pick up the argument that Paul is is making here, that bridges over into chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 23 of chapter 1, where Paul writes, But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I'll skip on down to verse 26, where Paul continues For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish And sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So, right from the get go, like we said, Paul had jumped into the problems with both feet and and tackled the problem of divisiveness in the church. He quotes some of their statements. Some groups were saying, well, I follow Paul. And others were saying, I follow Apollos. And there were groups that said, I follow Peter. And then there was groups that saying, well, you guys know nothing. We follow Jesus. You can just hear the, the, the independent attitudes in their statements. Well, they felt superior to all the other groups. And, and that the other people who had different views were inferior to them. And so Paul confronts the problem of their divisions which were caused by their independent attitudes. And then he begins to remind the Corinthians that independence is not the message that he preached to them. And independence certainly was not the attitude that they began their relationship with God with. Paul reminded them that the message that they heard was the same message that he shared wherever he went. And that message was simple. We preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified. And that's still God's message to us today. That it is not about what you can do for God. It is about what God has already done for you through Jesus Christ. Paul wants to help these believers get back on course. And so he points them back to the fact that they started with dependence on God. And then he continues, and he reminds them of their condition when they first heard this message, that they were weak, that they were lowly, that they were completely powerless to save themselves. You see... These Corinthian believers started in the same place that all of us believers do, in the place of dependence, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There's simply no room for independence at the foot of the cross. None of us has the merit to make our own way to God. There's only one option With God, one option for hope, and that's to boast in the Lord, to adopt a posture of complete dependence on only one thing, on Jesus Christ and all that He has done. There's one door into God's house, and it is the door of dependence. There is no other way in to God's house. It really doesn't matter how sincere you are in your heart. If you are like Tom, if you you are just trying to make your way to God through your own independent efforts to to learn things about God and and know the right things about God and, and do the things that you think you should do for God, all of those independent efforts are just a false summit. And you'll end up on the outside looking in. Because we all start with God in an attitude of dependence on Christ or we don't start at all. The Corinthians may have ended up independent. But that's not where they began. And after reminding the Corinthians that the message that they first responded to was a message of dependence, Paul doubles down on this point. And in the verses that are today's passage, in these first five verses of chapter 2, Paul moves beyond the content of the message, and he reminds the Corinthians of the way that he delivered it, of his demeanor when he delivered this message of dependence, You see, Paul didn't just tell the Corinthians about dependence on Jesus. He modeled it for them. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. You see, when Paul shared his message with the Corinthians, he didn't model self-sufficiency and self-confidence and independence. No, instead he was with them in weakness. Paul modeled complete dependence on the power of Jesus. He didn't try and wow The the Corinthians, with brilliant reasoning, with lofty arguments, he just humbly pointed them to their only hope, which was turning away from their sinful self sufficiency and embracing dependence on Jesus Christ alone. There's just no hope in self sufficiency and independence. And I know that standing on your own two feet and and being your own person, adopting an attitude of independence, it might bring you a, a feeling of personal empowerment. But in the end, it's just a false summit. Because independence leads to death. And that's why Paul did everything that he could in both the message that he delivered and the actions that he took to point the Corinthians away from independence and to dependence on Christ so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And the Corinthians embraced that message. They got it. They believed it. And they did what All of us believers do when we join God's family. They turned away from their independence and they put their dependence on Jesus Christ alone. That is where the Corinthians started. So, what happened? What happened? If the Corinthians accepted God's message through Paul and they began dependence on Christ, how in the world did they get so far down the road of independence away from Christ? We have got to get an answer to that question so that we don't end up doing the same thing the Corinthians did. Because, you see, obviously, from the example of the Corinthian church, understanding the message and and starting out right is no guarantee of finishing right. Christians who begin in complete dependence on God can drift into extreme independence, along with all the spiritual brokenness that goes with it. So, why did it happen to these believers? And how do we keep from doing it ourselves? And to answer that question, I'd like to ask you to think about a different question How do you feel about being completely helpless? Do you like being helpless? I know what your answer is. No. Our human nature does not like the feeling of being completely unable to take care of ourselves. It's so uncomfortable to be totally dependent. It grates against our nature. And look, if you're a believer here today... Jesus Christ has given you power over your sinful nature. And you don't have to be defeated by it, but you are going to deal with it. You are going to fight it until you get to heaven. And our human nature is wired for independence. We do not like the feeling of not being enough. Of not having what it takes it's it's uncomfortable and the corinthians felt the same discomfort with independence that you and i do and and they moved away from dependence on god because they could not face their inability we don't like inability just think about it how do you feel when you are facing a struggle and you just you really don't know that you have what it takes to make it through what goes on in your heart when there's a challenge in front of you that is way beyond your resources ah. I bet, when I ask that question and you think about it, you encounter a challenge. I bet a lot of us, initially, we we feel determination. We kind of feel, just buck up. Go after it. You, You tell yourself, you got this. You can make it. But when you push to the top, and it's just a false summit. When you realize that, oh, there's no end to this climb. And, you're, and you know that you don't have what it takes. Then determination disappears. And what you're left with is the feeling that all of us have when we know that we are not enough. And that's fear. Fear. It's fear If I peel back the protective layers that cover my heart and I take an honest look in here there's a lot of fear more than I like to admit and I I am convinced that some of our biggest fears are connected to our inability With not being enough. For instance, it's, it's hard to face increasing demands and pressure at work. But when I begin to feel like I am not enough for what's expected of me, then fear sets in. It's really difficult to see your kids struggling with things, but But when I begin to feel like I don't have what it takes to even help them in the way that they need help, then fear grips. It's hard when we don't even know what's coming next and the uncertainty of our future is right there in front of us. But when I begin to, to feel like I don't even know if I'm adequate to face what's coming, I'm afraid. It's kind of heartbreaking to feel alone, isolated. Nobody likes that but when I begin to feel like maybe the reason that I'm alone is because there's something wrong with me. Fear. You see, my fear about the things on the outside doesn't compare to the fears I have on the inside when I face my own inability My fear of not having what it takes, of not being enough, can be overwhelming. I know that as a Christian, I'm not supposed to fear. But I, I do fear. I know for sure that God is my Father, and because of that, I, I shouldn't be anxious. But you know what? I, I am anxious. I'm not supposed to be independent, but all too often I know that's exactly what I am. I'm independent. I know up here that, that God is always faithful, and so I don't ever need to doubt, but I do doubt. I know for a fact. That Jesus has set me free from the power of sin. And yet I am still very much a person who sins. God has given me a new heart in Christ. And why is it so ugly in here sometimes? I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. And what do I do with that? This strong awareness of my own inability leads to fear. And fear is what tempts me to run to independence. You you see, dependence requires me To embrace my inability. And independence is what happens. When we refuse to embrace our own weakness. And people. We will never be enough. In and of ourselves. What was it? that Paul modeled for the Corinthian believers? Weakness. Fear. Much trembling. This this is the Apostle Paul. The the Apostle Paul who did miracles. The Apostle Paul who who spoke with Jesus. The Apostle Paul who writes Scripture. the, The authority over all of these churches. Weakness. Fear. Trembling. Paul modeled his own inability and weakness. He modeled complete dependence, not on himself, but on the power of God in Christ. And why did he do that? Why did he model weakness? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Faith. Faith. You know, I think we often misunderstand what that is. Now faith is a remedy for fear. It is. But what is it? What is faith? I think a lot of the time, we think that faith is determination. When we tell ourselves, "You just need to have more faith," it often means it means that you need to try harder. You need to keep pushing on. You need to press on to overcome this obstacle that's in front of you. And all that sounds really good. Unless our pressing and our trying and our pushing is all just independent self-sufficiency. Kind of a, you got this mantra. I can do it. But don't hear me wrong. I am not saying that faith is inactive. Because the Bible's really clear that, that our faith leads to activity, activity like, like obedience and, and endurance and serving. But before faith leads to action, it begins somewhere else. Before anything else, faith rests. Faith rests in the power of God for us. The Bible calls every one of us to rest our faith in Jesus Christ. It tells us to rest in the Lord. And resting faith is not just some intellectual agreement that there's a God out there who's powerful. No resting faith is faith in a personal God who loves me and who is powerfully at work for me. And when I struggle with the fear of not being enough, fear of my inability tempts me to believe The lie that if I don't take care of things, if I don't take care of myself, nobody else is going to do it. And when I feel that fear, I am not going to find the faith that I need by trying hard to manufacture faith. Or by trying hard to do good things for God or know more right things about God. I need a faith that rests. And that's what you need. You need a faith that rests. And where are we going to find that kind of faith? You'll find that faith, the faith that rests in one place, in the love that Jesus Christ for you. Because fear loses its power when we rest in the love of Christ. 1 John 4, 18 and 19 said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. You see, when you bring all that you are not to Jesus, when you come to Christ in all of your weakness and your inability, and you find that he loves you intensely despite the fact that you're weak, Resting faith is the natural response because He's got you. You and I, we need to take a stand. A stand on Christ alone. A stand in the love of Christ alone. So, where are you feeling? that you're not enough. What's going on that, that brings up that feeling that you, you don't have what it takes? Jesus Christ is here and and he's speaking and and the words that he's saying to you are not you need to get that straightened out. You're a mess. You should have more faith. What Jesus is saying to you is, would you come? Would you just bring that weakness over here? I love you so much. Let me love you. You just bring all your inability over here to me and let me love you because I already did everything that you can't do. That's his invitation today. That you would rest in the love that he has for you. That instead of pressing up and on to try and get over the hump of your own inability. And just find false summit after false summit after false summit that you would stop. And you would just bring that inability to him and rest. We're going to have a a time of response and worship together. And that's what I invite you to do today is that you would hear the invitation of Christ to you to rest in His love for you. Would you stand and let's sing together.